0: Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamero. Okay, this week we are talking to a member of soft rock royalty. It is Graham Goble of Little River Band. When, I don't know about you, but when I think of, he doesn't like the term yacht rock. We discuss it in here and I understand that. But when I think about that sound, that Laurel Canyon, Southern California, windswept, sunny day. You know van on the highway torn je- jean shorts kind of thing kind of feel of the mid to late 70s early 80s i think of a band like little river band all those hits like lady reminiscing cool change lonesome loser help is on the way there's tons of them they were so good at making that sound and what's really interesting if you didn't already know they're from australia I don't know of any other bands from Australia that are doing this kind of music and doing it as well as they were, but that's where they came from. It's so fascinating. The voicings and the harmonies sound so much like Crosby, Stills and Nash to me, and Graham and I discuss why that is and why he feels like it's a little different. In fact, what you'll find is that Graham is an intensely analytical person. He thinks very, very hard and very deeply about a lot of these things. And so it's really interesting to get his insight into the sound of the band the chemistry the magic of what made them so special especially his songwriting he's written tons of this of the hits that you know so uh it's really and in addition he's a very spiritual person and as you know i like to give people if they are such some space to kind of define and discuss and express their spiritual side, because I think it's a really important and less discussed part of people's lives, and Graham has done that a lot, so we get into a little bit of what drives him spiritually. It's really interesting. Speaking of their hits, the main reason that we are talking today is that there were two massive compilations released of Little River Band material fairly recently. There's two of them. One is called Ultimate Hits. It's two CDs, I think it's four vinyl albums. And uh, as you can imagine, it's all the big hits, all the ones we just mentioned, okay? Two discs of that. Then there's a second one called Masterpieces. And this one is made up of all the songs that people like Graham think should have been hits, but weren't because record labels didn't push them or they didn't get the attention they deserve, but that the band think is really special. And it's really interesting to hear Graham discuss why he thinks certain songs in their canon are as special as they are. That leads us to another bit of information in here. Little River Band that's out there now on tour and releasing albums uh, does not include a single original member. All the original guys do their own thing. So if if they are coming to your town or you see their CDs in a shop and you think, oh, I want to go see or listen to Little River Band. Be aware that you are not supporting the original guys, and this is a very touchy subject, which Graham explains very deeply and eloquently in here why this is happening. It's a real shame, but as you know, this happens a lot in rock and roll. I gotta give a huge thanks to Liam Dennis who helped put this together. He's also the guy that hooked us up with Paul Kelly recently, so thank you, Liam. But anyway, I thought it would be fun to hear from Graham. He's such an insightful person with so many different facets of his life and such deep thoughts about his work and his artistry. I love it. He called me from his home in Melbourne. I'm well, in Denver, played- Colorado.
1: Yeah, okay. We played there at uh, Red Rocks and things like Did that. Did you? I yeah. was going
0: to ask you about that. Tell me about when you played Red Rocks. Uh, well, for, we definitely played there with the
1: Doobie Brothers. We played there probably three or four times. I don't know, but uh, a memorable one was uh, co billing with the Doobie Brothers and seeing standing on the side of the stage and just enjoying Michael McDonald being uh-huh. about three meters from where I was behind uh-huh. the, the the set the the sta- um, PA stack uh-huh. and just sitting at his piano with his eyes closed and just blowing everybody away. I uh-huh. mean, there's there was no need for anything other than for him just to sit there sit there play and sing. I mean, that's all it took. He's but the best. also. Also, very. The whole band were very, um, very good to us, and um, I believe we had a problem with the memory one of our amplifiers, and I mm. think they said, "Look, no problem. Just take one of ours. It's mm-hmm. no, no, no issue." It were, there mm-hmm. was no ego there. They, they, they were great to us, and we uh, we enjoyed that very much.
0: I love them. They're one of my favorite bands too, and I finally got to see them live. Last year, I uh, they were doing a residency in Las Vegas. And so I flew out to Las Vegas and went to see them with the whole, you know, Michael's back in it now and everything. Um, something that I've, I mean, you probably, I'm sure you get this a lot and always have. Most casual music fans are probably shocked to hear that you're Australian because the sound of. Little River Band is so steeped in that sort of yacht rock, for lack of I don't know how you feel about that, but that sort of Southern California late seventies, early eighties soft rock sound. Yeah, well,
1: we obviously when we were recording and when we when we uh, started the band, we never thought in those terms. I of mean, course. and because collectively from within the band, our influences were definitely more English. I mean, a lot more. Like the English bands, uh, obviously Beatles, uh, who the stones like Holly's particularly. Um, and I, I mean, I, one of my major early influences was, was an American band called Bread, who I love yeah. David Gates, that loved David Gates writing. It was more the songwriters, but just gen- generally, um, the American bands were sort of in our era, like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac. They weren't influences to us because mm-hmm. we were all around at the same time. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Uh, we never thought, well, we sound American or whatever. We we just always sounded like that, you know, even years before we went sure. to America. And that that was, I mean, I don't really hear too much difference between the way we sound and the Hollies or the Beatles nope. or any of the English bands I think it's a world like when when you're when you're singing I think like an American band would say the word tune but we say tune mm-hmm. so there's an, a number of words where we sing in in, in an English way uh, but uh, that we don't do uh, in in American and I don't think we sound anything like the Eagles because they're all American accents,
2: mm-hmm,
1: you see. Mm-hmm. And I think that what gives Crosby, Stills and Nash more of an international thing is because Graham Nash is English, mm-hmm, you see. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and and I think in our band, I mean, we had, uh, I think, two, well, Glenn Sharp was English, of course, born in born in England, and um, I was only the Australian born because um, uh, Beeb was born in Holland. Mm, so I didn't know three, that. the three singers were, had that very different Sort of accent, almost. Yeah, yeah. Apart from apart from our magic blend, I think that those different accents really played a role in giving us a unique sound. Whereas if you're in an American band, maybe like the Doobie Brothers or whatever, mm-hmm. um, everyone's coming from the same dialect and and mm. the same yeah, they're just just the same born way of saying things and phrasing I can see things. That. So, so, I've never. So we- yeah, 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 so so, so, so we um, just naturally came to the middle point of what was Glenn,
0: Babe, and myself. Yeah, yeah. I never thought of it quite that way. because, um, But I think I have to push back a little bit because I think even with you explaining that, I'm guessing your band had to be an anomaly still because if you were in, let's say, Southern California or LA, around the time that you guys were out, There's the Doobies, there's the Eagles, whether you sound exactly like them or not. They're kind of Jackson Brown, Poco, Fleetwood Mac, you know, Christopher Cross, whoever. All these bands are kind of making this sort of sound, Steely Dan or whatever, around that time. I can't think of another Australian band that sounds like what you guys were doing. Now I'm not as I wasn't there. I'm not a, that old. I was I'm not steeped in it. Maybe there were tons, but whereas over here there's several bands doing something similar. Over there it feels like there was one and it was you.
1: Yeah, it, well, we were really the only vo- vocally focused band uh, yeah. that I can remember. That. I mean, there were there were some, but but a lot a lot of them. Tended to be very heavy, just with one one singer. I'm just talking. There weren't a lot of harmony bands. There were some, but you know, with um, the greatest humility, there was nobody that that got anywhere near us vocally in Australia, let alone internationally. So it, it we sort of stood out in that way because we had three really powerful, uh, powerful and strong singers, and there wasn't ever a band in Australia that had that. It, no. it just wasn't because, because that was my thing was building the band from the vocals, whereas mm-hmm. most other bands were a single person singing mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of the guys or one or two of the guys doing a, a vocal backup. But, mm-hmm. but being a vocalist was not their principal role in the band. Mm-hmm. But with us, mm-hmm. the vocals were number one. Got it. That, that, that,
0: that was it. So do you... Accept or reject the comparisons you guys get then to Crosby, Silva, Nash, because it's an obvious similarity in terms of harmony and the gelling and the mixture of the. And I believe your voice is the high one, so you're like the Graham Nash of the three of you. and
1: um, Okay. So I can probably I'll say some stuff here that won't that a lot of people won't agree with. Firstly, mm-hmm. Graham's Graham Nash's high harmony. I mean, he was. He was an an inspiration to me, but my harmony was above his. He was more in in the range of Bee Birtles. So, so we had Glenn and then uh, Beeb singing in in uh, Graham Nash's range, and then I sang the what 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 the bottom harmony in Crosby, Stills, and Nash would have been up an octave, my part yeah. in the River Band. That, and I believe we're the only band to do that. I mean, we the difference between us and Crosby Stills and Nash, I mean, obviously they're, they're very famous I- in America and very um, an iconic band, but um, to my ear, they don't sing in tune that mm-hmm. well. Um, they have a magic blend because of Graham Nash and, and mm-hmm. they've got a wonderful flesh and they've got some fantastic songs. Mm-hmm. But I think that... We just had more power, and we sang in tune, and we had a different. And like they had more of a natural harmony. I think that mm-hmm. we extended harmonisation mm-hmm. musically more than they did. Like when they harmonised, it was sort of all the same. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, song after song was just sort of well, that's the Crosby, Stills, Let's sing this together, yeah. and that's us. Mm-hmm. With the Little River Band, well, firstly, um we were just always trying to be creative with the vocal arrangements, maybe a bit more like Steely Dan would do mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, I just think we were more inventive and, yeah. and we were more powerful. And, a- and, could, and def- definitely
0: could sing in tune
1: great yeah. on uh, in live, live performance.
0: I could totally see that. The other thing, too, that is an obvious differentiator is they only managed two really great albums, and you guys have several. And so you guys had longer to show how good and diverse this power of yours could be, whereas they only really knocked it out in those two albums and that's it, you know, as great as they were.
1: They also, as great as they were, but they also, I believe, were carrying a lot of um, extra weight with drug use, that that, that, some of them, that we didn't have. Um, And and we were um, really just all about the music, and, and, and like, we maintained that that Steely Dan approach to recording and playing mm-hmm. all throughout our career. Like, mm-hmm. we, well, I believe if if you go to the trouble to even listen to our last album, which was No Rain, so I think, like, we were playing and singing the best that we had ever done. Absolutely. At the like by the time we hit Sleeper Catcher, all the albums that followed had a lot
0: of great songs on it, and the singing was was wonderful. I totally agree. I'm a big fan of Monsoon. I'm going to ask you more about Monsoon here in a little okay. bit. Um, yeah. I love that album. I want to, before we get off this topic, I want to, we have Patreon supporters, and I normally ask their questions closer to the end, but one of them relates to this. Jake Rude wants to know how you feel about the Yacht Rock tag, um, I have a theory about this. I'll save my theory because I want to hear what your thoughts on that are. Well,
1: I've never liked tags at all, mm-hmm. and the yacht rock. I don't really understand it, and I think mm-hmm. it's pretty lame. And mm-hmm. um, and I don't know why it's a thing. So so, <laughs> so uh, I, it, it's sort of like uh, people uh, uh, people want to want to have labels. They want to have. Um, put things in categories. I mean, do they call the Beatles a yacht rock band? Uh -uh. Do they? No, they don't. Don't. So we had some songs you possibly might call, say, reminiscing and even call change that might go into that genre. But if you take the trouble to listen to our masterpieces album or listen to the ultimate hits which we've just put out, there's so much really rock songs, country songs and all sorts of things uh, uh, that are not the so-called yacht rock, yeah. uh, yacht rock genre, which which yeah. I'm not even even a, um, I don't really follow it very, very much. I think it's I think it's born out of people that just do. Is it doing cruises and just well, going on? Like no, we wouldn't do that. We, we don't no, do that. No. Led Zeppelin wouldn't do a cruise. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they would. That's for sure. No, it's a. It's a little different than that. First of all, I got a million questions about the two compilations because I've been listening to them nonstop. There's so much good stuff on that. Um, the the yacht. Someone coined the phrase, and I don't remember what it was. The about ten or fifteen years ago, the phrase yacht rock, as this kind of softer rock of the late '70s, early '80s that might be played. Or listen to on a yacht or while boating or whatever and a lot Uh, of bands like the ones i mentioned earlier kind of fall into that it doesn't mean you're literally on a cruise it just means that if you imagine a guy in the 70s looking like maybe daryl hall or something with windswept hair and they're on the mast of of a yacht they might be listening to somebody like doobie brothers or whatever um, the thing, the reason why I see both sides, number one, I can completely understand what you're talking about because no artist wants to be tagged or labeled anything, especially when they've put their whole heart and soul into all this artistry. The one good thing I think about Yacht Rock is that um, creating a movement or the, a label like this that's sort of an umbrella for bands like yours, it kind of, um, it sort of revitalizes that music it puts it in a place in a category and that place thankfully now uh is exudes fun if you were to go to a concert of bands that are considered yacht rock you might be handed a a, a, a what what's it called if you're the head of a boat the I like a captain hat and yeah. you might bring wine and you might get up and dance you know and it's meant to and it's meant to be fun now and without labeling it or corralling it all under this one new fun label, it might be lost, or it might just be random. Yeah, no, it's I'm kind of it. a second life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I was curious about that. So let's talk about these compilations. Um, first of all, I think it's so. <laughs> I think it's great. the The one that has the hits on it is called the Ultimate Hits, and the one that is great songs that aren't the hits are called masterpieces. That's a really ballsy thing to call the album that is I don't know, less well-known than the other songs. You know what I mean? Yeah, but when
1: when you take a listen to it, you'll see there are so many if not all uh, uh, masterpieces. I mean, a song like B. Birdle's Light of Day Um, yes. no, there's no song like that in the history of recording there's a no. number of songs on, on this I mean our live performance of Love Letters mm-hmm. is just the greatest live singing ever done by three guys and yeah. um, it's it's a, a masterclass in live vocalizing and so when i was uh, came up with the idea of masterpieces i thought well i'm going to i i know of all of our great performances whether they be live or they be um, recordings and i just wanted to put my favorite songs on a record because i remember uh, like going back when i was a kid and, and you would buy say a new beatle album mm-hmm. every song, it was interesting they're all Mm -hmm. different you know and and so uh but then we got into bands putting out an album with one or two songs that you could listen to and the rest would just throw away Mm -hmm. and they call that an album well we've just released 52 songs all of which Mm -hmm. are standalone very very strong pieces and that wasn't even all of them but but we stopped at 52 and so there was 20 26 songs I think on uh, on masterpieces and uh-huh. to me they were the standout individual songs that we recorded that were not hits and uh-huh. and uh, and might I say that many uh, many of them would have been world famous had yeah. they had the exposure that a, a a single selection from a record company gives you uh-huh. so in other words, if the song, even though they're longer, this many of these songs, if they were played on the radio as much as reminiscing was, mm-hmm. they would all
0: they would all be hits. I agree. I want to ask you about a few of them. I wrote down I was I want to ask you specifically about some of the ones I know that you wrote. Easy Money is one of my favorite songs on the Masterpieces <laughs> compilation. Can you tell me about Easy Money? That song is great.
1: yes well um i it's a very well known now that back in the day when we were there um th- there was um quite a lot of payola going on underneath the counter to um the press and particularly to radio stations and when um all, all the major artists including ourselves i never personally saw it but i knew that if you wanted to get your single on, say, Chicago radio station or somewhere, you, you look at where you're not getting airplay, then someone visits the station and says, Okay, we need LRB song on. Uh, I know you're getting 90, 90 new singles this week have been released, but if you put LRB on, what's it going to take? And so um, that was going on behind the scenes in, in our career and gave us the opportunity because once you got into that top 10, then they didn't need the money anymore because people got a chance to hear it. But if the money wasn't paid, even if you were a Michael Jackson, if the money wasn't paid, you would not get to hear the songs. Mm-hmm. So Easy Money was about the people that were providing that service, if you like, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So it it's broadly starts about that, but then it goes into – um um if you like what the mafia were doing I think with protection uh, money mm-hmm. like with like, so Joe has a, sh- a show uh, has a store on the corner uh, and then mm-hmm. they go in there and they want part of his profit so it's sort of that gangster thing mm-hmm. as well um so it's a and, and so in the chorus it's about people who sell out to either threats or to have their livelihood yeah. but then at the end of the time they've got to sit back and think well I took, payola or i caved into a threat in order to make my living Mm -hmm. so at some point i've got to deal with their own morality and their own place in the world and Mm -hmm. and so that's
0: what easy money is about got it tell me about fall from paradise because that i mean it kicks off with loot almost sounds like like a pan flute or something and then it goes into these strings it is one of the most lush like ear candy gorgeousness piece of music I can think of
3: down by the Jordan it's early in the morning the sun is in the sky all the people pass by there's magic in the air some stop to stare at a man who says he can't. What he had to say
0: You create when you when you're strumming a, an acoustic guitar, assumedly, on your bed, or a, plucking on a guitar on a piano. Are you thinking, you know, what this needs this needs a flute, this needs strings, this needs a long intro that's super lush? Is that what goes through your mind? No, no. In, in that particular <laughs> case,
1: uh, firstly, uh, Bear Birdall started that song, so so ah. he wrote he, he wrote true. that's uh, true. He got a start on it, so um. As happened a lot of times with Beeb and I Beeb came to me and said Would you like to work on this song with me So once he And I can't I I probably wrote the chorus Because I usually do write the chorus But I'm not sure Um, I would have probably written some of the verse And maybe the chorus or whatever So that was a co-composition with Beeb and I So with the way I usually work with Beeb is that In the songs that I write with Beeb Is that he comes to me with with some chords and, And melody and sings me what he's got and then I usually take that away and quite quickly, like the way I write a song is I, I don't sit down and labor stuff. Mm-hmm. I just stay, well, okay, okay, Beep's got this. Now, where does it, where do we go? And usually back in the day, I would get a very strong inspiration of saying, Well, okay, this is where it needs to be, maybe the chorus or something like that. So mm-hmm. I would usually be able to go back to Beeb next day and say, Well, look, this is what I've written, and then you know most times he really loved it and then we had a song so then when we went into the studio to record it it was my suggestion to say to rick formosa who was the arranger that because because rick was the lead guitarist on it's a long way there and he uh, left left our band after the second album to pursue arranging and he went Mm -hmm. to italy to study under a, a, a master and he's he's still one of my favorite arrangers in the world and so yes. all i had to say to rick was um write a prelude for this You know, it would be mm-hmm. great you know, It's an album track we didn't think it would be a single mm-hmm. let's write a beautiful prelude for it and so um the first time we get to hear it of course is when rick turns up with the charts and we've got a 30-piece orchestra sitting there we don't there's no way of recording it we mm-hmm. we we just trusted him that he would write write that. So I think that on the notes to masterpieces, he talks about that. I'm not sure. Oh, really? I, think
0: I've only, I only have the streaming version, so I don't know what the notes look like.
1: Oh, I wish I would have known because I could have send, sent them to you. Oh. Okay. Um, okay. So Rick said, this is what Rick, Ricardo Formosa said. Uh, Graham had asked me to write an orchestral introduction for the song "Fall from Paradise,"
2: mm.
1: and uh, uh, sorry, "Fall from Paradise" uh, with its biblical, prophetic mysticism. My interests had already shifted somewhere between 20th-century classical music and large ensemble modern jazz, having become an avid collector of recordings and printed scores. Music that particularly attracted me and that I wanted to find out more, I wanted to find out more about, eventually leading to full-time classical competitions, composition study over a good part of the next decade. The results of my perhaps still tentative embryonic inner search can be heard in this small orchestral offering, depicting at first idyllic settings of calm beauty disrupted by increasing harmonic dissonance and finally by <laughs> jarring pagan rhythmic brutality before a new unsettling calmness is reached. So that's what Rick had to say about mm. right. That's that was his opportunity to put yeah. together. 10 years of study, and just be let loose let loose with a real orchestra in front of him. So, yeah. yeah,
0: And you encouraged him
1: to do that. You were fine with that. Absolutely, because I, yeah. I trusted him implicitly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. All the day, all of the recordings that we did in those days, you had to trust your arranger because there was no way. I can't read music. I couldn't look at his score and say, well, gee, that's not going to really work very well. I had to be... Um, confident that he mm-hmm. would produce the goods and he never once failed it was um always a joy to sit in the studio and hear it all back
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and so when he, he wrote that separately after we'd recorded the song but then once we heard it then I was able to do that vocal arrangement that really joined the two together mm-hmm. so he ended up on the on that on that um sustaining note yeah. where the, ba- the band kicks in yeah. so that was edited together but I had to do the vocal arrangement and then Beebe and I and Glenn did all those vocals um, uh, coming at at the end of the orchestral Mm -hmm. thing, join it
0: all together. It's so cool Um, and I wanted to ask you about Broke Again too. I believe that you wrote that one too. And I love it because it sounds like a guy who's just repentant for the mistakes he's made, you know, rhyming sin and gin together. And um, were you at a, was this a personal reflection of where you were, maybe at your, in your life at all? To co-write with Beeb again? Oh, is it? Oh, I thought it was just you. Okay, no, it's Beeb.
1: Uh, so, so, so Beeb, his Beeb's comment on it: I got really drunk, um, and <laughs> and I and I thought, oh no, here I go again. Sitting down, hangover, guitar in hand, uh, he said, um, he was sitting in the sun and started to sing. Well, I'm broke again, blew my money on the smell of gin. And I thought that's quite a nice melody. So I kept it and wrote a bridge and I wrote a bridge for it, but the bridge wasn't very good. So I happened, so it happened that Graham really liked the melody and I handed the song over to him and he finished it off. So I wrote the middle eight, which has got that awesome pushing myself to skid row, great mm-hmm. harmonies. Mm-hmm. And then the last verse, well, so, the, so the first two verses are beeb, that's beeb. With this thing, the middle eight and the end is me because when, uh, because I was having a different experience in life, I was really missing somebody that I couldn't be with. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when I wrote the middle eight, then in the last verse, I wrote, um, and if I saw her face, I'd feel so out of place, Mm -hmm. wouldn't know what to say, I'd have to look the other way. I'm down on my luck again, just can't smile and pretend I'm really a broken man. Mm-hmm. that's my that's my words They're, they yeah. are my words
2: but that's that's, that's about
1: being someone being with someone sorry not being with someone that you want to be with and mm-hmm. uh, brieb didn't have that experience because he was always with a girlfriend or a yeah. wife and he was fine. Mm-hmm. that was my experience but Breeb did um he, he was by no way a drinker but occasionally mm-hmm. he would just get a bit pissed off with life and <laughs> sure. have a bit too
0: much. <laughs> of course of course yeah. um I want to to ask about some of the bigger hits too, but... um, May I say, probably my favourite Glenn Shorrock vocal. Really? Broke again? Such a great vocal from Glenn. I love that you just said that, because I learned not to ask people their favourites because they rarely actually answer that question. So the fact that you've offered that up, I am so glad you said that. That is great.
1: It's a heartfelt... It was Glenn in his prime giving everything he's got. I mean, he, he did some amazing vocals, um, but that is, like that and Mistress of Mine were two mm. of my favourite songs that he ever sang. I mean, obviously mm. he sang amazing, amazing but, um, but Broke again,
0: it, it, he didn't do better than that ever in his life, yeah. I don't think. It's wonderful. It's a good one. Um, you touched on, when you were talking about Fall from Paradise, you touched on kind of a spiritual side, which uh, in getting ready to talk to you, I learned that you're, you, you have, this is a very strong thing for you. Can you define or describe or express to us what the, what the spiritual quest or spiritual belief, or I was trying to wrap my arms around it, explain it to us. Well, did you have an hour? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't it, 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 mention it, except it seems, in all the bios I read about you, it's there as a big part of your life. And I really find that, especially with rock stars, spiritual side's really interesting. Well, it's it's everything. Um,
1: okay, so um, I've been, uh, uh, if you like, a searcher and an and interested person in the, the occult, in the spiritual side of life, all, all my life. But mm-hmm. um, when... Um, about thirty-eight years ago, I ran into a, an Austrian philosopher called Rudolf Steiner, and um, I studied for many years, many many years, and read many many books about his philosophy and and his teachings on the really the meaning of life, the the, the truth of the Bible. The uh, he he had a lot to say about architecture, about um. um uh, agriculture all sorts of things but uh his his like many volumes of of lectures on karma so we're talking about karma we're talking about reincarnation we're talking about a person's destiny he goes mm-hmm. into great uh, lengths of all that so having studied all that and then studied for many many years astrology many many books and all the great teachers i mean astrology is thousands of years old and mm-hmm. i can still i still study all these things um and then like at my age now, to me, it's it's just slowly unraveled the mystery of things to me mm-hmm. and and the life and the world makes sense to me because without a spiritual overlay and understanding, the world doesn't make sense and you can really feel it's an unfair world, an unjust world. Mm-hmm. But if you bring in um that that okay, uh, if I've lived before and therefore, I have things to compensate for in this life. I've done things to people. I've met people. So this time around, it's not all going to go great for me because I've got to pay the piper here. Mm-hmm. And so when things don't go the way that you want, it it's helpful if you understand, well, they're not meant to. And then you understand that suffering is a major component of earthly life because mm-hmm. through our suffering we are being taught And Riel Steiner said that a life comes down to only two things, love and acceptance. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, love for yourself and the other and acceptance of the situation that you're in and the situation you have with another person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it easy to do it and it doesn't make me perfect in every situation and I'm hardly perfect at all. But at least if I get, say, upset about something like, for instance, the the um what may i call it the the loss of our uh, the band name uh, I can have a, rather than than that eat me up and have ill feeling towards the people that have taken our identity and our name and going out and preventing us from working I can put that in a different place and say well there's obviously history that's come to be worked through in this life mm-hmm. and so i can then decide to get Really angry and never let it go, and then get sick and cynical, or I can say this has come to teach me understanding. Because there's not much point learning something or reading something and thinking, okay, that I like that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. But then you can be rest assured you're going to be given an opportunity to uh, to see if you have learned anything, if you can put it into practice. So I, I believe that. The spirit world and the physical world are all working together, and I think that, for instance, just in, I, I I see meaning in everything. So I was making a call to uh, our uh, Australian um, um, record company, talking to Liam Dennis, and he on another matter, and he said, I- "I'm a fan of of um, this particular." Uh, broadcaster, mm-hmm. what, uh, I think you would be good for that program. W- would you like to do that? And I'm mm-hmm. saying, well, Liam, if you think that's good, then okay, I'm saying yes to that. Oh, so bless heart where, heart do, heart. Where, do, where does that come from? You see, mm-hmm. I ring and just out of the blue, now we're talking. But now a lot of people are going to hear this. Yeah. See? yeah. So I think there's a working behind the scenes, and I think that we're all an expression of the gods to some Mm -hmm. to a degree and artists particularly are real expressions of Mm -hmm. the gods Mm -hmm. through art through songwriting and through broadcasting we can reach now many many people and so when people don't have that outlet of of being able to write songs or have art or write poetry this helps them in their life but it's also uplifting hopefully their consciousness Mm -hmm. and so the only way the world is ever going to solve its problems, and there are many, is for each person one by one over millennia to lift their consciousness and then, like then fix the
0: place. I like that you say this. I, I think it's interesting that not until the very end there where you mentioned God's plural, did the word God or Jesus Christ or anything like that even come up? Is Would you say that your um, your belief system – is it based on Christianity? Is it influenced by the teachings of Jesus Christ, or is it something completely different? Uh, yeah, no, it's based on Christianity, but but Rudolf Steiner's
1: explanation of Christianity, which was nothing like mm-hmm. the um, fundamental Christian or the okay. Catholic or anything like that, because he talks about the higher beings. He talks about yeah. the seven Elohim who brought this uh, this whole thing into existence, and and and, and Jesus Christ, the highest. Being the Christ, being the Sun God, the highest, and I'm sure that Lennon probably knew this. John Lennon, when he's talking, when he wrote "Sun King," he, mm-hmm. he's probably talking about uh, the Christ being. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I, he never. I don't think he said. But um so Real Steiner explains all that. So instead of believing in just one God or one judging entity, uh, I'm believing in an, in, in an infinitude of beings that keep the planet turning, keep the seasons coming, guide the birds to 6,000 miles north to breed, come back mm-hmm. again. All of that is being um, overshadowed and guided by the gods, plural, uh, and like uh, without number. And our lives are similarly being guided. And so um, Steiner points out that, that each person has assigned to them a... Um, uh, guardian angel that 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 is your go between between this earth and the spiritual world, and so it, that guardian uh, entity is assisting you to do your work and to fulfil your mission on earth. No matter what that is, it's there to help you, and um, and 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 help contacts and and put situations for you. Now, in my case, um. Th- channeling the songs to me like my my songs appeared in my head for the most part completely with a with a lyric attached and i used to know i got to the point where i would know three days before a song was coming because i would start to feel different i would i would know that and i could say i i I can (laughs) and and i could be out to dinner with friends i could be I don't know, hammering a door or something, and suddenly I've been forewarned and there it is. And so I usually um, receive it. And yeah. a, song like, a song like Reminiscing, a half an hour, it's, just, it's like a, a spiritual download. But but I but I had to get myself, I had to train myself, not being um, a trained musician, but I, I had to be able to find chords on guitar mm-hmm. and I had to be able to, I can hear harmonies and how to do all that, and that's part of my training uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what I've trained myself. But when, like, if you turn on the radio and you hear a song that you've never heard before, say you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily know how to reproduce that, mm-hmm. okay? But I could hear that in my head and I knew how to reproduce mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Is that exactly. where,
0: this is fascinating, is that where reminiscing came from? I was going to ask yeah. you about that, really. Did well, it, is it a similar that, thing where you had like a a hunch or a, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll talk about reminiscing, but let me just finish on that yes, thought. Yes, please. Go ahead.
1: If you believe in what Steiner says is that you prepare in a previous life uh, what you're going to do in the next life. Mm. You prepare it. You don't do it. Mm. So whatever skills I may have um, uh, achieved in a previous life, I may have been a like a mathematician or a, I don't know, mm. who knows, mm. but I come into this world with an innate ability that another person doesn't have because I've built the structure in a previous life. This is what Steiner says, and for instance, if you Usain Bolt, that just doesn't happen. He would have done something at mm. that high level of phys- physicality and then he comes into this life and then he becomes... Usain Bolt. Yeah. yeah. So so when I started songwriting, it was sort of like I've done this before. I I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I just picked like the first I I wrote seven songs in the first week I had a stringed instrument in my hand. Well, where did that come from? Wow.
2: It it just appears
1: because it's there. It's a hidden, and, and Steiner points out that we come in. Like you, you, you. When you leave the life, you you leave with the fruits of this life. So Mm -hmm. whatever I've achieved in songwriting and in other things, I take those fruits, and then when I come in next time, whenever that might be, Mm -hmm. I might come straight in and become an architect, or I might I might immediately understand science on on a level that my uh, partner or someone else may not understand because I've got some level of development in some skill. Okay, So, so. that, that's that. So, with rem- going on to reminiscing, um, wh- I was always looking for new chords because, uh, like, I st- was a self taught musician and we were at a television show and um, our lead guitarist, David Briggs, he, he, he's got a very good chord knowledge and he was playing different chords. And I said, Oh, David, what's that chord? And he said, oh, That's a that's a C9 shape, and it's something I hadn't ever played back in the day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he showed mm-hmm. me how to play it just on my guitar, and so I was just sort of strumming around a bit, to just, just learning that new shape and getting my fingers to it. So that was an afternoon taping of the television show, it was in Melbourne, and so when we came home from the show in the afternoon, because we would have had a show that night probably, uh, I just went to my study picked up my guitar and thought I'll I'll play that guitar, that chord that David showed me, and I strummed the C9 chord and as I hit that, the whole melody for reminiscing came into my mind. So then I just moved my hand up and down, finding the chords that matched the melody and lyric that I was hearing and half an hour later I had it all and I had to learn it and then play it to the guys.
0: I mean, while you're conceiving of this, um, are, you, are you realizing that you're writing one of the most pleasurably easy, breezy recordings ever? I mean, it's just, it's like a, just a breath of fresh air of calm and sunshine and the world is okay. I mean, was yeah. that sort of the the vibe or the message or the spirit you wanted people to take from this piece of work? No, you,
1: you don't think it because it, it's it was just one of many songs that I was writing all the time. Mm-hmm. I never ever thought it would even be a single. I, wow. I, you don't think that I've just written this most amazing song because it's become amazing because of a lot of people. I mean, the band I had, which was Little River Band, all of the players on it were just sensational in, in yeah. what they did. We recorded it three times. I've, I've spoke, told the story many times in that the uh, the, thir- the first twice it didn't really feel right and then the third time with Peter Jones on Rhodes. Um, it just was magic. It was a magic recording. Uh-huh. But we yeah. spent, as I say, many days in the studio getting that that feel to it. And then um, with the vocal harmonies, that's the first time I had ever uh, arranged a five-part vocal harmony and I, and I did it in a certain way that I had never done before, and I, I was blocking out the chords with all the vocals and then had the melody intertwining so it gets lots of dissonance in there. Well, that was just a vocal experiment. Like, Beebe and I stacked all those harmonies, and it just turned out ma- amazing. But it mm. was an experiment to see, well, I think let's try this. We've never done this before. So we did that, and it worked out really, really well. Yeah. But we had... Unlimited time in the studio to do it, and uh, we, as I said, we recorded it three times, so we had had that that luxury. Um, and it, of course, what it was is because of my uh, like I lived in this fantasy world of of the thirties, forties, and fifties: Fred Astaire, Jeanette MacDonald, mm-hmm. um, Nelson Eddy, um, mm-hmm. uh, Ginger Rogers. Uh, all of that, uh, uh, the uh, Oscar Hammerstein and mm-hmm. um, Richard Rogers, That's my life, you know. That's where I would like to have lived in that life, and I yeah. never had have done it. But so it was very easy for me to get the opening of that uh, Friday night. It was late. It's just after the prom, which we don't mm-hmm. even have in Australia, but it's on mm-hmm. the, on the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Walking down the street with your girl, and then later you know, kissing her goodnight and whatever and mm-hmm. uh, that to me was a, an experience that i never have ever had but thought wouldn't that be awesome yeah and so that was sitting in my unconscious from a very young age Probably well, we got tv when i was 12 so i and reminiscing was written in 1977 so i was what am i 30 something <laughs> like that
0: yeah wow, wow. um we should we should clarify for anyone who doesn't know you touched on this a minute ago the current state of the band the um if you're especially if you're in the united states and you see that little river band is coming to your local county fair or whatever to perform you sh- you need to know that that is not the little river band that includes original members like you and in fact it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a sad nightmare story isn't it Oh, well
1: the the level of musicianship is uh, is has is, has a question mark over it um yeah. and, and it's very disrespectful to the public to um in my opinion to advertise that as little river band because they they have the legal right to do it they own the trademark they own the name but the the thing that's been that people don't know is that they've legally uh, spent a lot of money to prevent the original members who have Wanted to work for the last twenty-five years from performing in America. We're legally denied that problem, <laughs> that 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 possibility. And so um, this just open slather. They just go on there, and they, there's no mention of us on their website. I know. So pe- pe- people don't know, and and it's yeah. it's really very. It, it's it's got questionable morality all over it, and it's <laughs> very um, disrespectful to fans, and of course. Totally disrespectful to the people that wrote and recorded and sang all the songs. Yeah, because um, when we have not been ever able for the last quarter of a century to come and play to the people that would dearly love to see us, but it's too late now. It were to that's not not going to happen. And they're still there, still there doing it. And I even heard this week that there's incredibly charging like two hundred and fifty dollars for a seat to hear them perform with an orchestra. And wow, I mean. I don't know why people would want
0: to pay I don't anything. Either. No. no original members, no Australian members, which feels yeah. also sort of sacrilege. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that the n- name reverted to one of the—I won't even say his name unless you want to—one of the current members of the band, and uh, who was a late guy who joined LRB later, and mm-hmm. uh, he's just taken over the name. And so it, it's interesting to me because there's a live album out there of Bertels Gold do you say gobble or gobble? No, gobble. Yeah, go- one b. That's what I've always said, gobble. But I was hearing, I watched the video earlier, and they said gobble, and I thought that can't be right. Like a turkey? No, yeah. Well, well it, it doesn't have two b's. It's. I, that's, exactly. So I was, I was confused by this video I was watching. So it's got you and Beeb and Glenn, yeah. and you have to go by your names, and yet you're the core of the Little River Band. And the yeah. people who are out there calling themselves a the Little River Band have almost nothing to do with the actual Little River Band. They have nothing to do with it, nothing at all. No. It's
1: a, it's a complete disgrace, and um, uh, as I say, um, it's, it's not going to resolve anytime soon that I can see. And so um, we are uh, doing it through our ultimate hits and our masterpieces, mm-hmm. but also th- there's going to be a major Little River Band documentary coming. Uh, oh, r- good. I've, already, I've already started work on it, and th- that that will really set the record straight, good. particularly if you get enough um, um, release. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, America's a big place, and uh, so they trade on that that people don't know. And it's... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But once again, going back to my earlier thing, this is a big blow to, to me, but... And um, that's life, you know. I mean, you can't say, well, gee, I don't want all these bad things happening to me because everyone has bad things happening to them. But you yeah. ultimately say, well, but that somehow has made me stronger or hopefully given me more understanding. You can't live a life without some heavy mm-hmm. blows. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everyone's got a story to tell. And, and so I'm... I live a really happy life. I'm very fortunate. I mean, I have a a good flow of income from our recordings and there's a lot still to do with um, uh, I've written a musical about my life. There's so much more to do that that the band that's playing out there, they will be forgotten at some point. They won't exist. They haven't produced anything that anyone will ever want to listen to. They'll never be able to do a documentary. They'll never have a movie. They'll never be ever going into the rock and roll hall of fame. None of that will ever happen, mm-hmm. but it's all a possibility for the originals, uh, original band. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, um I, I think that's, I, I mean, you're a healthier man than I am who can think of it like that. I would be pretty frustrated. Um Are, were you able, I mean, you're getting to be an older man now, but in 20, 25 years ago, when this first started, were you at least able to, if you, could you have put your name, Graham Goble on a, on a marquee and had people know oh if I, that's the guy from lrb i'm gonna go listen to him play some songs or did they have yeah. a way of stopping even that
1: no the thing is that individually we're not famous enough that 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 uh-huh. was the very problem uh in that if by uh, the promoters said that putting even our three names there bertel at gobel was not enough uh, that we wanted to say the we wanted to go out as the original little river Band, mm-hmm. then we would have we would have gone back to America and, and done really well. But yeah. no promoter would give us a tour without that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, so they take the uh, the alternative, which is the yeah. band with no originals that owns the name, rather than all of the originals without the
0: name. This is Crazy. heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Are you not even able to tour around Australia? Well, we did. We did. You did. In, okay. Okay. Uh, with with Bertel Gobel.
1: Okay, but, good. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, no, we did that, and there's the, a wonderful DVD out called Full Circle. I mean, that yep. really you must have seen some of that on online.
0: Well, I've seen parts from, on YouTube, and the the audio, the CD of it, or whatever, is streaming on Spotify. Yeah,
1: beautiful. So, so, so that was thirty two songs we played there, but yeah. we're sort of gotten to a point you know, a number of years ago where we're just of an age now, we just don't want to do that anymore. You know, I've got too many other things in my life that I would Mm -hmm.
0: rather be doing rather than touring in a rock band. You know, I mean, it's just not (laughs) my my whole life. (laughs) That's true. And if you can live comfortably off off your hard work from back in the 70s and 80s, those songs can, you know, the mailbox money or the royalties of that provide a good living for you. Why not do all the other projects that interest you? You know, you don't have to go out there and do that. No. No, that and, and i i need i need
1: a lot of time to myself for my study my my mm-hmm. studies and learning are very important to me and mm-hmm. if i'm in a band uh, like it's a full time thing if you're traveling and moving and, and and just running the band there's not the time but now mm-hmm. i have the freedom to follow the and uh, what i want to do in life but particularly mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to work on the documentary full time with mm-hmm. with or uh, with, uh, and a musical, or or um, just and working with my sons, both of whom are wonderful musicians and writers, a recording studio here. So, there's That's just an, not enough hours in the day, really, and and frankly, not enough years left for me
0: to do what I want to do. That's I've true. got plenty, I can see that. Yeah, um, I did have one more question relating to the new the band that's not the actual band. Yeah. I noticed that they have one. They have a uh, an album streaming on Spotify called The Hits Revisited. And when I was listening back to it, to me, when a band does that, that is their hopes that anyone looking for syncs or placements of Little River Band songs will pick the version off of their revisited album so that they get a bigger piece of that pie than going back to the originals, which benefit you. That's my feeling on that. Well, well, this is why they played
1: the trademark ownership card to take control of the Spotify page. So you'll notice on the Spotify page, they Spotify caved into them ridiculously and got, and put all their photos on the banner, and then they deleted our bio. So we're not mentioned in the bio. So they use that Spotify. So Spotify are... Um, Um, assisting them in the deception that this is the original band. So when you go onto Spotify, you think, oh, okay. And then so there's like 20 versions of The Night Owls on there. So you've got a one in 20 chance of getting the real recording or the original recording.
0: So, the one produced by George Martin, by the way. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And, and so uh, so they um, they make money by people unknowingly clicking on the wrong versions or on huh. the re, on the re-recorded versions, and that's what they do. Because if if it wasn't for that, if we could have all of our recordings on a separate page, they
0: wouldn't make a dime on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Okay, I want to. Um, I might ask you about a couple more of the hits um, off of the Ultimate Hits album, but I had some other questions for you first. I mentioned earlier my love for the Monsoon album. I know that was kind of a later career album. The thing I think is really interesting about that is that when it came out, Glenn was no longer in the band. John Farnham was. My understanding is that Irving Azoff at MCA really wanted – little river band on the label and offered a pile of money for the original guys to get back together and put out a new album. And the result of that is Monsoon, which I think is a great album. The thing I find interesting about deals like this and there, I mean, I've after 600 plus interviews of people over the eight years, this comes up sometimes. The thing I'm confused about is it number one, no offense to LRB, but you guys weren't the hit makers that you once were at that point in 1989. So why does Irving Azoff feel like throwing a bunch of money at a band that's not in its peak peak popularity anymore worth the investment? And then secondly, if he does, why does he not work harder to promote the Monsoon album? Why are there not a bunch of hits off of that album? You know what I mean? No, firstly,
1: there were hits off that album that, that were not hits. There were plenty of songs that could have been hits. But firstly, okay, so the band had been... Uh, We finished uh, in 1986. We recorded No Rains Mm -hmm. and then there was, we shut the band down. And then in 1988, we were approached by American management or an an Australian American management. um, And they were able to, uh, who used to work uh, one of the, uh, in 1988, one of the managers um, used to work for the band or around the band. And so he had, they had this management company in America and they, they uh, were able to get an offer of a record deal from MCA because Irving Azoff was a Little River Band fan because yeah. we had played with the Eagles. And so he knew Makes sense. that it, I wondered. And, and they wanted, as long as Shorrocks back there, which mm-hmm. he was, that um, he was keen to do it. It wasn't a bag of money, it was 250000 US. Oh, that's okay. nothing. Yeah. That is nothing. Yeah. It, it was a toe in the water thing. So Irving signed us. And then left MCA, oh. Oh. so he was not around mm. to. Uh, so, so by the time we recorded the album and then it came out, there was no one who was our champion at MCA. Couldn't care no. less, yeah, because they hadn't no spent one. that much money, and and Irving was not there to say this is going to be a priority. So we mm-hmm. had we had no champion. My what I I know is that you must have a champion at the record company. We had that yeah. in in the in the capital years where they will spend anything to, because they believed in the band. Mm-hmm. By the time that MCA album had no believers there um, and they what they put it all on, when I arrived in LA, um, the management said, oh, um, we're going straight to record Listen to Your Heart because the record company are going to have this as part of the um, uh, the Karate Kid 3 movie. Mm-hmm.
3: Close your eyes The truth is there for you
1: And they thought, this is going to be great because we did a clip that if this Karate Kid 3 is is really successful, this is going to launch Monsoon and we're away. So they put everything into that. And, of course, Karate Kid 3 comes out and it fails.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they they said, well, we're not going to throw any more money at this. You know, the, the point I'm making is that the record company really didn't know what to do with us and mm-hmm. that they, they thought that, Putting John Boylan back in charge, who was the producer of our biggest albums, with Glenn Sharrock on lead vocal, that would be enough. But of course, B. Birdles was not there. You see, and that was a big um, thing missing in that lineup as we as we you know realized later. Makes that sense. That okay, we didn't have Glenn and I together. So,
0: what is your relationship like with Glenn today? Because um, it was starting to become really frayed. I think in the early early eighties. I believe that might be why he left and you kind of wanted to bring in John Farnham, who's one of the great voices ever. How's he doing, by the way? I heard his health is not good. It's not good from what I've heard, but I, I don't know. I don't have okay. any mm. any
1: uh, um, privileged information there. Okay. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Are um, you and Glenn, I mean, maybe because you have a common enemy now that you two are better friends Have you made up over no, time?
1: No, no, it's not about that. Um Glenn and I just see the world have always seen the world very differently and um it's sort of like and and I this is where my astrology studies have helped me a lot in because what where astrology is really helpful in a relationship you can look at the dynamics of two people together and it can show you quite clearly where there's going to be difficulty and where there's ease mm-hmm. and so you you tend to find that like a long term friend. If you put the look at the two charts side by side, you can see oh, I can see why I like talking to to that person, or I, I can mm-hmm. easily be around them, um, and we see th- see the world pretty much the same way, and it's always fun, and so we catch up a lot. But with Glenn and I, um, there's not much of that going on at all in the real world or in in the astrology because um we're just different people we don't we don't see the world in the same in the same way so th- there's there's no um, point uh, central point that we can come to on most things mm-hmm. so i don't have any contact with glenn um i he has not sent an email of mine for 3 4 years you know and he's getting older now i think he's 79 now and mm-hmm. i i'm not sure even about the um, about his health, I'm not. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the status of that is, but um, we're not two people that would ever hang together. I mean, yeah. Beebe and I, Bebe and I were were could easily be in each other's company, and we had a lot in common, and we could sit down and work together. Glenn and I, so if I wrote a song, I couldn't ever sit down with Glenn and say, "Look, here's a new song that I've written that you're going to sing." Mm-hmm. He would never inquire as to what it's about, or we, mm-hmm. we, would, we would never interesting. Hang- a conversation at all about the songs that I would write that he would sing. He would yeah. just take them and interpret them his own way. So, yeah, that, that's just the way it is. So what I'm trying to say is that when you're, say, if you're working in an office and you run across somebody that you there's a bit of rub with them, mm-hmm. uh, when you leave that office or when they leave the office, you don't necessarily have anything to do with them ever again. Mm-hmm. But, with Glenn and I, we were together like every day uh, mm-hmm. forever for for eight years. And so it was difficult for sure. um equally difficult on both sides because Glenn's frustration would be that he well, well the main frustration was that he didn't uh, respond very well to my incessant um pursuit of excellence. He just wanted to count the song in and play it. Like, let's not analyze too much analyzing here. He couldn't see the need for analyzing. So I always felt that we needed to talk about stuff to get to, to work out what's the problem. Why isn't this working here? And sometimes it might take you a whole day to work out a rhythm section. Why isn't this coming together? Well, the only way Glenn could stay in the band is that he would just leave he just yeah. couldn't be and partake in partake in the discussions around because it was true he said you guys do more talking than playing and that is true we did and that's what you have to do uh-huh yeah. It's like if you're saying Bob's well, running the 100 metres, you can bet your life they've had a lot of discussions about that, right. a lot more than the 9.8 seconds it took to run right. Right.
0: And that's the way that we were. Right. I read a quote um, in getting ready to talk to you that said something to the effect of the album you and Beep made together, the last romance, Bertels and Gobel, that if that had been more successful, you would have probably ditched Little River Band and just – Stuck with Beeb and been the next Hall of Notes. No question.
1: That that, that was really? absolutely what we wanted to do. And that and the record company sensed that and that's why it got no um, uh. support in in America in America. They we recorded the record, but you know, Beeb is one of my favorite singers in the world and mm. I, I loved I think our harmonies together on that record.
0: So good. I mean I yeah, love I'm lonely good. lives. That's one of my favorite songs of yours, I Love Lonely Lives.
1: With that's that, Bebe and I. We had to co-write with Beeb again. Yeah. So, so we we had the material, we had the desire to do it, and 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 um the song I'm coming home, which was released in Australia, mm-hmm. was actually mm-hmm. bigger than any Little River Band song. It was number one everywhere in really? Australia, and that's why that's why it's on the um, Ultimate Hits. Yeah, because it is. It's a hit But just in Australia and the Philippines. We, we had a, a massive song in the Philippines with I'm Coming Home. If that had been released in America, I think it could have been a top five. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure of it. I one one thing I was curious about too. Growing up, when I did, may, may I finish? May I finish yes. on oh, on, sure. on the on the duo
1: album? It the whole L-I-B played on it. It was the whole band, but not Glenn. Right. It was David Briggs on lead guitar, Derek on drums, George McCardle and bass. So it was the it was the
0: Little River Band without Glenn. I had no idea. That's so yeah. good. It's a great, it's like the great lost LRB album, actually. Well, I mean, it, it, it if, is, other than Gr- Glenn's presence, it's everybody else. It sounds just like what you yeah. want. Yeah. 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 I I love it. I was curious. It occurred to me in getting ready to talk to you, Graham, that I I grew up in the 80s and I was an MTV kid, and I don't know that I ever saw a little river band video on MTV. And I thought, I wonder if. When you're having meetings with record executives or labels and they're talking about the promotion of a new album, are videos or bankrolling videos or having narrative big, you know, Alan Parson Projects has really great videos from that time. Are they having similar conversations with you and you guys are like, videos aren't our thing or what? No, no, no. Well, uh, we we did a, an
1: expensive video for for playing to win, but, oh, okay. but by, by, by the time MTV rolled around, I mean Glenn had left the band, and and um, when did MTV come in in America? When was that? Eighty
0: one. We just passed the forty second anniversary a little uh, recently, right? Well, see,
1: eighty one was when. Um, yeah, you I guys think- were starting. Well, Glenn, I think Glenn lived in '81, so uh-huh. the first opportunity would have been with John Farnham out front, and uh, we did a, a clip for playing to win. But um, yeah, once again, it just the record company had changed. Um, like the, the reason it went off the boil was because the PR guy that was there for all the big hits for LRB he left Capital mm-hmm. Records to go and work for the Chicago mm-hmm. baseball team. So oh. we had no one at Capital that was our champion anymore. And okay. so, from the, from the net album onwards, um, when We Two came out, well, like We Two was uh, number twenty two with a bullet in five weeks, and they the mm-hmm. capital pulled pulled the funding. Like it stopped overnight because the guy that was paying for it and providing the funding left the company. So when the new guy sits in the chair, he says, "I don't want to promote LRB and he let it slide.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: there was no video because they wouldn't pay for it they weren't
0: they they decided to let lrb go uh, i don't and uh, this is a common story with people i talk to on here and i just i never understand why record labels don't make the most of the valuable assets that they have i don't understand this i never well, will well,
1: that, what 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 it's uh, you can understand it this way when a person comes into a new um, chair and they sit, mm-hmm. okay, I'm now head of ANR and, and promotion mm-hmm. for, for capital, I want to bring, uh, where's my stamp? I've got this new band. I, right. I want to be known for, I was the one that made this band happen. Mm-hmm. Someone else made a band happen. That's not going to help my career. I want to yeah. become, from capital, I want to go here, 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 and here. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens is that a, a person needs that, that situation too ben. I
0: can under I completely understand that but I also feel like part of your job is to make the company money and be successful and if you have some if you have a known asset or a known quantity like Little River Band that is bringing a certain amount of money to your bottom line why mess with that why not allow those those assets that continue to show value over time continue to do that while you also bring in new fresh artists Rather than stopping the things that are that have brought you some value, in order yeah. to completely clear clean house, that's the part yeah. I don't understand.
1: It's it's be, it's because the, the people who are making those decisions
0: have got their their own careers. Yeah, that's number. it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Okay, um, a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you one of the other questions that came over from the Patreon supporters, it's Dave Greenwood or Greenberg. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, he noticed, even though, and it's funny. A lot of the songs we've talked about today have been co-writes, but in general, and I noticed this too. It's he says it seems as if most of LRB's biggest hits were written by individual band members rather than co-writes, and he was wondering what the was there any collaboration. So, uh, was it who wrote "Lonesome Loser"? Is that a Beeb? Yeah, no, D- David. Br- David Briggs wrote, wrote Lonesome David Loser. David Briggs. So when David Briggs brings Lonesome Loser to the band, are you working your arrangement magic that we've been talking about so far, and but not asking for a co-write credit? Or is he bringing the stuff fully formed, and the songs that we get on albums are the things that democratically the whole band has agreed to?
3: I'm
1: No, well, say so in 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 um, like the case of Lonesome Loser. Say the introduction, which is the the vocal introduction. That was that's my introduction. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but back in the day, um, like David's David wrote Lonesome Loser lyric and melody, and then the band puts the arrangement. That that that's that's the artistry side of it. But mm-hmm. the songwriting it's David's song. But I I offered the um, the whole introduction, which I think. Mm-hmm played a big part in it becoming a hit. And it also, the I think acapella
0: a- part, that was you, yeah. your
1: decision. Yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. That's a hook right there. It's a hook. And, and, and I think it played a, a major role in us getting a Grammy nomination. Mm-hmm. It was for those vocals and also the ooze, like everything before Glenn starts singing. Mm-hmm. That's what I came up with. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, um, but then again, it sort of works out because e- even though it's not songwriting, um, like D- David played on my songs, his, his awesome rhythm part on Reminiscing that wouldn't be the same without it. That's not a songwriting thing; it's a it's a musician thing that that, that happens. But um, so D- David wrote Lonesome Loser uh, on his own, and and Beeb wrote songs on his own as well. The only song that 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 I co-wrote that that, that we had co-writes were Beeb and I when he'd started something and then finished. Uh, then I finished it for him. Mm-hmm. Glenn and I, Glenn wrote on his own. It's a little bit of co-writing with Beeb and maybe David, I think, and, and I think that Beeb uh, and um, and uh, and David Briggs co-wrote on Happy Anniversary. But Glenn and I, the two, if you like, ma- main songwriters, mm-hmm. um, we weren't able to really sit in a room together mm-hmm. to write, you yeah. know. So, so Glenn would work on his own, and if he needed uh, help on something like he did with Home on Monday, mm-hmm. he went to be, he wouldn't come to me because we we weren't, uh, he, he didn't feel comfortable about mm-hmm. that. Um, and I myself never really needed any help on any of my songs because mm-hmm. I could easily write them myself. I didn't yeah. need, I'm like Billy Joel in that way, and yeah. I can write, I, I, I can easily finish a song. The, the biggest with songwriting you've got to have a great first line and then what a lot of songwriters uh, don't have the ability to write a great chorus so you write your verse and you're saying here now let's go to the the money part of the song which is the chorus or write a great middle eight Mm
2: -hmm.
1: well I was proficient in all of those three things and I was able to if a song needed a middle eight I could just come up with it and uh, I know that um B wrote great verses, not always able to come up with with the hook part, but yeah. then sometimes he did. Yeah. Like in the case of Light of Day, which I think is a is a great beautiful song. masterpiece. Well, that's all, B, right. that's all Babe that's all writing. Yeah. And so so but just sometimes he wasn't able to get get a song finished, and so we ended up co-writing about 24 songs and that was mainly because after two or three months of him Trying, he just became frustrated and said, "Would you
0: like to try and help me with this?" Light of Day is like top five favorite LRB songs for me. I love that me, one. For me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet,
1: it's something that a non-LRB
0: fan wouldn't know, and
1: it's such no. a shame.
0: This but is it's why great that it's on the masterpieces compilation. Oh, That's where it belongs. Se-
1: it was my first selection for that album really? again. That again, that and broke again were my first one reasons why I wanted to put out. But there's another song of Beeps called
0: Raylene Raylene that I really love. Also great. I love that one too. I love that one too. But no one knows about that. Well, I'm hoping. I mean, to me, these come. They're almost a package. It it would if you are interested. That's why I think I was really especially excited to talk to you about about all this, Graham. Because to me, if you're a fan enough to be interested in the greatest hits. There are so many songs on there that you already know and love. Why not get the Masterpieces comp as a companion? It, I mean, of course, go back and listen to all the great LRB albums. But if you've got those two compilations, you have like the lion's share of what makes your band special. Right there on these two compilations. You know what I mean? Well, well, well Masterpieces is my favorite Little River Band album.
1: I, have, I would really. That, I could see that. I would play that ahead of any LRB album that we've ever had out because it's. I could see that. But so many songs that are mm-hmm. that are just awesome,
0: and they're all different. Yeah. Like they're just. It's a wonderful album, it really. They is. really are. Um, okay. Lastly, tell me about the writing of "Lady" because I believe that one's just you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lady. Well. Um, okay. So this was written in Mississippi days, quite a few years before. Oh, yeah before uh, Little River Band came to be. Um, in Melbourne, we were uh, playing pretty much pub gigs every day and we would play like pretty much seven nights a week and also on a Saturday you would do a matinee two to five at a local hotel. And uh, one day at a local hotel, I'm in Melbourne now, and just uh, I think it was the Matthew Flinders Hotel, and... Um, I, we would, do about three sets, and we're playing. I was playing, and I could see this beautiful girl out on the dance floor, packed dance floor. She was dancing with a girlfriend, and um, all I remember, she was quite tall, she had blonde hair, and um, and so I was really taken to her. And and uh, and then when we finished our three sets and about to pack up, I looked around and she had gone, mm-hmm. and I never never ever got to meet her, mm-hmm. but. When I went home, I had the feeling around her in me and sat down and I wrote Lady very quickly Mm. that experience. Mm. So that's that's how that came to be. But there's a lot of other things in it um, where I say um, I was born in the winter and cooled by a warm heart. Well, that's about my mother because I was born in the southern hemisphere uh, winter, which is May, Mm-hmm. and the i was called by a warm heart is the uh, uh indulgement of my mother's mm-hmm. mothering if you like. mm-hmm. um so um it's really just about my admiration and and i guess love for women in general and what they provide mm-hmm. to a man whether it be your mother your sister who my sister really had a big part in my upbringing or your partner or your wife mm-hmm. or your or female friend i've had mm-hmm. I had a very long friendship with a, a friendship with a lady who passed away a couple of years ago. Thirty-year friendship, mm-hmm. very very big part uh, a relationship in my life. Mm-hmm. So women are very um, they're very different than men, and they provide a lot mm-hmm. uh, to to men. And so that's my um, tribute
0: to the Female race, yeah, it's beautiful. Last question: Um, Tell me your favorite story. Tell me your favorite when you sit back and you just think, I can't believe the life I've had. Is it meeting a hero? Is it hearing a song somewhere? Is it a favorite show? Is it uh, something weird? Something? What is? What's your favorite rock and roll story or memory? Story. Well, uh, there are there are many, but the.
1: My greatest, um, most pleasurable experience was when um, uh, I sang with Beeb and John Farnham Silent Night at the Amen. annual Carols by Candlelight. Like this, this is on YouTube. You can see this. It's, uh, two acoustic guitars and the three voices singing Silent Night in front of about 20,000 people. That was very, very amazing. Amen. Um and then another amazing one for me was singing, um, Desperado with Glenn Fry when he oh, performed yeah. with us. Uh, that was, they're both on, um, on YouTube. Okay. Um, but in terms of stories, um, uh, like there's many, but, but just one that stands out was when we went to Montserrat to record with uh, Sir George Martin, uh, more enjoyable than the, Recording, in fact, was the evening dinners we had with George, in, and he was most gracious to talk about anything we wanted to ask about the Beatles. And mm-hmm. and so well, I remember clearly I, I said, look, I, my favourite Beatles song was We Can Work It Out, and I mm-hmm. said I just wanted to know some history around that. And George, George just said, well, what happened there was that um, Lennon and McCartney had a, a bit of an argument or a big argument and left the studio that night, not speaking to each other. And so, um, in the next morning, McCartney comes in, uh, walks over, and picks up his guitar, and and or and and sat down in a stool opposite John, and said, um, "Got a new song." And then he sings, um, "Try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I am right or am I am wrong." And that was about like the argument. And then he, uh, George said that when McCartney sang that verse, um, Mc- all Lennon did was pick up his guitar in the moment uh, and actually sang back to him uh, the middle eight, which is the um, "Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and
0: fighting, my friend." Like in the moment.
1: Beautiful. And I thought,
0: wow, that's that pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That just makes me want to cry. That's such a beautiful story. Yeah, and so Paul, you know, that seems yeah. like something Paul would do. Yeah, well, he said that the
1: that was the you know, they were like brothers but the um the respect and and the they they sort of their connection was through music and and through their songwriting and so they just do that and then play it together and then Ringo and and um, George, just learn the song uh, and they're basically recording it before lunch. Oh, like it's just, it, we, we take months recording or weeks, <laughs> but they would write three songs in a songwriting session
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then couldn't even record and they'd remember them, play them to the guys next day and not just three songs but three unbelievable songs and they actually get a finished cut on them the next day, incredible, incredible. Like this incredible. is because that's what they had to do. They were expected yeah. to get three songs recorded in a day. Oh, and and so when you, this is why I uh, revere Ringo so much, and and but all of them, in that Ringo gets to listen to a song once, and he comes up with drum parts that no one's ever played before, yeah. and he does yeah. it time and time and time again, mm-hmm. and this is. When the only understanding that you can bring to it is through, through my going back to my spiritual understanding is they've got to have been overshadowed by something mm-hmm. because there's just incredible ideas just flowing through them yeah. onto the tape over and over and over again. There's no musician born, if you gave me a billion dollars now, I could not guarantee you I could come up with a great idea (laughs) that was that no one had ever heard before. Right. But they did it over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's unhuman. You see, they're just open channels for this divine expression of music that changed the world and that the world really needed at that time. Yeah. You see, without the Beatles, the world was ready for it. And so, if you like, the gods are saying, okay, here's the vehicle. Yeah. So, all these yeah. amazing things.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, it makes sense. Uh, Graham, I love you a lot, and I love so much of the good work you've put into the world. And it was a real honor to chat with you about it, because I've loved LRB most of my life. And so, thank well, you for taking the time. It means a lot. Thank you very much, John. I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, there you have it, Graham Goebel. Interesting guy. I love those songs and that music and hearing his insight on how it all came to be and, frankly, his thoughts on his own talent or abilities, spiritual or otherwise, toward arranging and making those songs what they are is really fascinating. I like having a safe space for people to discuss those kinds of things as long as they're not jerks about it. And, of course, Graham wasn't. He was a total sweetheart about it. I find it so interesting. I want to close it out with another one of the songs that I love that he wrote. By Them. This is one of these nights. And it's on the Masterpieces CD. Okay, so if you get those, this song will be on there along with, like, 50-something other songs. Here's the deal. I have several copies of Masterpieces and Ultimate Hits to give away. I have four copies of each CD. So I'll be throwing this out to the Patreon supporters. If you want a copy, if you want one of both, if you want one or the other... We'll figure it out, but if you're a Patreon supporter, I'm basically going to mail this to you. Just tell me that you want it, and I'll put a post up there here soon, okay? So that's what's going on right now, and I will announce some winners later this week as usual. Now, next week's guest, it's a twofer, and they're both, I don't know, they're both pretty interesting uh, conversations. Interesting good and interesting bad. And uh, you'll just have to see for yourself. One of them is a '80s rocker who had a couple of hits, then completely disappeared, and we find out why. And the other person sang at Woodstock. So there's a lot of interesting content there, but some in- also some interesting personalities. You'll see what I mean next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan, the Man Mokiewicz, my right hand man for everything. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you guys can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on x at the hustlepod. Uh We probably have a deep dive coming out later this week. It all depends on Jan and his schedule. Okay? Thanks, folks. We love you.